Well, friends, let's, um, let's begin by praying. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this moment, and I thank you that we are dependent on you. Heavenly Father, no matter what season we are in this morning, would you speak to us through your word? Would you reveal Jesus to us again? For those of us who know you afresh, for those of us who don't know you, convict our hearts. And I pray every single word that's said is for your glory alone. In your name, Amen. Well, friends, we've come to the last chapter in the Gospel of John, John 21. This morning, what I want us to consider is this big idea. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? I don't know if you've been to uh, the movies. It feels like almost a long time ago when I've been to the cinemas. But I love going seeing particularly a series of movies when they have sequels one after the other. And one of my favorite things to do is at the very end is to wait. To wait till the credits have come and once they've come to see the preview to the next film. It feels almost like that in John 21. Because in the previous chapter, in John 20, we had these famous words. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. And in that moment, you would think it's like John saying, Well, done. Story's finished. But like every good preacher, he says, Oh, one more thing, one more point. Well, we come to this particular account that John wants to focus on. He specifically focuses on two people, himself and the Apostle Peter. The first story we hear is the story of fishing. If you look with me in verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but they, that night they caught nothing. These are seasoned fishermen. And they're doing what would have been normal in that culture at the time. They've gone out at night time to catch. And absolutely nothing. They have caught nothing. What a terrible time, really, to be a fisherman in that moment. Even if you're not a fisherman by trade, it's very deflating to think that you caught nothing. But see, I think John's making a point here that these men, who are called to be fishers of men are now going back to doing what they know, what they're familiar with. That's what their trade was before they became followers of Jesus. And you have to feel for them. We, you know, this is, uh, this is John recording this, and he records how Peter came to follow Jesus. If you see up here on the screen in John 1, uh, Peter's brothers come to him, tell him, we've found the Christ. And then Jesus says this to him. Andrew took Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw Simon, he said, You are Simon, the son of John. Your name will be Caiaphas. The name Caiaphas means Peter or a rock. What a wonderful name to be given, but in his life, particularly in following Jesus, it feels as though in this moment in his life, he's not being a rock. Peter, as someone who's walked the journey of Christ, he's walked with him as a disciple, He's experienced things that are so wonderful as you read the Gospel of John. He's seen things. He's heard the teaching. But the last few interactions that Jesus had with Peter wasn't a positive one. Do you remember that? Jesus made it very clear, as much as Peter made many promises to him, Jesus said to him, Peter, you will deny me three times. 
I don't know if you've ever promised something to somebody and you failed on that promise. I know I have and it feels the sense of guilt, there's this sense of regret or there's almost this sense of oh if only I had, oh I wish I could have done that. What we see is a picture of Peter going back to what he knows. He's moving away from being his calling that is to be a fisher of men to become a fisher of fish. And they catch nothing. And all of a sudden they hear a voice. Now, if you've gone fishing, I've felt for these guys, to be honest. I've been fishing a long time ago, and particularly in that moment when you're fishing, whether it's on the pier or on the shore, and someone walks past and they ask the question, have you caught anything? And you have this moment in your mind going, oh, I haven't caught anything, just leave me alone. But see, in John 21, John wants to unpack something for us. See, in verses 4 to 8, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered, No. Another way is actually the best way to translate it is Jesus is coming up and saying, You guys haven't caught anything, have you? In a sense, he's stating the obvious. And then he does something beautiful and powerful to reveal who he is. He asks them to throw the net to the right hand side of the boat. In verse 6, they cast the net on the right side of the boat. And what happens? They catch a huge catch. They haul a huge haul. And in that moment in verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard this, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging their full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. What a moment! What a powerful moment. It's revealing who Jesus is. But Peter doesn't recognize it. The one who does recognize is the author of the Gospel of John. John himself. He loves describing himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. And I used to think, particularly in Australian culture, we kind of go, man, this guy really has got dibs on himself. It's not that, you see. I wonder, it's because John in his all of his life, was so captured with the notion that Jesus loved him, it shaped everything. But here in this moment, he recognizes Jesus and he tells Peter. And what all this detail here, friends, is also an eyewitness account of who Jesus is. It's an eyewitness account of John. So Peter dresses himself. It's good that he didn't dive into the water with his undies on to meet Jesus. It's probably a good thing, particularly... Uh, in that moment, I'll keep moving. And what we see is a desperation. It's an act of desperation. It's almost as if maybe he's thinking, can this be true? And they're met with a beautiful sight. In verse 9, they land, they come to land, and what do they find? They find a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus says to them, bring the fish that you've caught. And so Simon goes and gets the fish and, and comes back and and there's detail of how many fish is caught there. And Jesus says, come, have breakfast. And you know what? In that moment, none of the disciples ask who he is. It's very clear who he is. And so this is the third time Jesus reveals himself to them, that he is the resurrected king. So Jesus has prepared breakfast for them. I just find that amazing. He's laid out quite a spread char-grilled fish, 
char-grilled bread. Oof, sounds delicious to me. And he invites them to have a meal with them. He's actually prepared it for them. If you follow the Gospel of John, when you hear the story of a fish and bread or a loaf, it should straight away remind you of that moment in John 6 where Jesus provides for a multiple a group of people, a crowd, by multiplying the fish and the loaves of bread, revealing who He is, that He is God. In this moment again, Jesus has provided for them. Jesus comes to them, and Jesus is the one who directs them where to cast the net. Jesus is the one who provides for them. And this third appearance of Jesus after His resurrection to His disciples is to reveal who He is, but it's also to reveal to the disciples that they are dependent on Him. That they are dependent on Him not only to provide, and particularly in the context when we're talking about discipleship, this is Jesus or John's way of saying this is what it means to be on mission for Jesus. He's the one who directs. He's the one who leads. He's the one who provides the fruit particularly as these men have been called to be fishers of men. There's a lot of theology going on in here, but at the heart of it, it's a picture of being dependent on Jesus. All evening, they catch nothing. Jesus comes and directs them where to fish. It's a beautiful imagery of what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is dependent on Jesus, the Lord. As a disciple, we've been called to His work. To the work that He directs us to. And to understand that greater, we need to firstly step back and consider who provided the catch. As John says, it is the Lord. Or another way to say is, this is Jesus. This is God. It's a reminder to all of us who are disciples that we are called by Him, led by Him, and He's the one who provides for us. But the call for a disciple is to obey His Word. Jesus is the one who commands them where to cast the net. Do you know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? We are dependent on Jesus to provide for us. Do you know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? We are to obey His Word. He knows best, always has and always will. His words are there for our very good and for our care. Friends, do you know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? If you know anything about fishing stories, we always focus on how big the fish was or the story that we tell. And in this moment, John actually records for us the exact numbers that was caught. Now, there's a lot of work there about what the numbers might mean and so on, but don't lose sight of what the ultimate picture is. It's there for us to show us that this is an eyewitness account by the Apostle John. So that's why the details of the numbers are there. But it's a reminder of God's gracious provision through His Son and beautiful generosity. It's a picture of grace. This is the one who has done it. He's the one who's done it. Jesus Christ has did it. And at that moment as this happens... What we have is this beautiful breakfast as they sit together and eat. But notice the way that John writes it. Did you see that? He doesn't just say just a fire like this one. He says a charcoal fire. And who's there? 
with that charcoal fire? Who's sitting in front of it? The Apostle Peter. If you think about this particular word that John uses, I reckon this breakfast would have been a very silent breakfast. I don't think there would have been sort of awkward conversations would have been going on, particularly if I was there, that would, that's what would happen. You know, I'd probably say something like this to Jesus. So, what was the tomb like? Just to continue the conversation. No, I think there was a lot of silence. There's a charcoal fire. There's fish. There's bread. And I wonder if Peter was feeling stuff in his heart. Because the last time when we're, a charcoal fire is mentioned, do you remember where that is? It's actually in John 18. If you flick back, you'll see... It's that moment where Peter has denied Jesus. The sermon girl says, Are you not one of the disciples? And he says, I am not. And notice what it says in verse 13. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. I want you to imagine for a moment, Peter, he's sitting there quietly eating. The charcoal fire is there in front of him. And I wonder if you can feel the sense of maybe guilt he would have been feeling, shame or even sadness. Or even a sense, I deserve this. Does Jesus actually still love me? And Jesus, so as though he knows what's going on in his heart, asks this question. In verse 15 of chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Son of Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What are those these? Well, there's much commentating going on in that, whether if it's talking about specifically about the work that Peter was doing as a fisherman, or talking about the disciples around them. I wonder if Jesus was asking about the bread and the fish. Probably not. But either way, the question is very clear. Do you love me? And again, that language of do you love me in the original Greek, there's discussion of what word Jesus uses, what word Peter uses, and what that means. But at the heart of it, I think throughout the Gospel of John, you have this, is this language of love. And the question is, do you love me, Peter? So Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And over the next few verses, it's as though Jesus is starting to drill deeper into the heart of Peter. He asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I do. And then Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then he asks again, Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I do. And then Jesus says, shepherd my sheep or tend my sheep. I'm feeling for Peter in this moment. I mean, the last time someone asked him about Jesus, his response was to deny that he knew Jesus. He might as well have said, I don't love him. And finally... Peter is asked again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response reveals a sense of pain and discomfort. And he says to him, Peter grieved and he said this the third time. So he says, do you, when Jesus asked, do you love me? And he said to them, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He's grieved. Uh, the language is that he's grieved and troubled. And he's thinking to himself, you really need to ask this question of me three times? But notice what Peter's response is this time. He says, Lord, you know everything. 
You know that I love you. It's a confession by Peter to say, Lord, you know my heart because you are God. You know everything. There's nothing hidden from you. It's a powerful confession by Peter. Not as much as how much he loves Jesus or even he's not even asking, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I'll never deny you ever again. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I, I stay strong to you. No, rather he just confesses to Jesus saying, Lord, you know everything including the heart of a man who's denied who Christ is three times. And Jesus' call to Peter or command is feed, shepherd, feed. Jesus is the one who himself, as the great shepherd, asks Peter to continue the work that Jesus started as his disciple. That is to go and disciple others to love Jesus by feeding them the word. And then shepherding them to the great shepherd and Continue the work of feeding them the word. It's a commission for Peter, but it's a confession by Peter that reminds us then and us today what it means to be a disciple. See, to be a disciple means the very motivation why we do what we do is not out of duty bound or driven out of guilt. It's actually because of our love for Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus means recognizing who Jesus is, that he is the Lord, the one who knows everything. And as his disciple, we follow his word and then we point others to his word. And that's the very call, not only on our lives, but it's also on the call as disciples, as we disciple others to love Jesus. It's also a reminder in this moment, now Jesus moves into calling Peter to follow, but also reminding that there is a cost to following Christ. Jesus displays this to Peter by revealing to him in the way that he would actually end up dying. The imagery is imagery of someone who has freedom, can do what they want, and then in their old age, that is Peter's life, would end by being martyred for the faith. And church history actually reveals that. It's predicting this is how Peter would die. But what's the purpose? Did you pick that up in those verses in front of you? Peter's death is not wasted. Look in verse 19 where he says, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Those words are so familiar for the disciples of Jesus because those are the first words he would have said to them. Follow me. And they cast their nets and they followed him. And in this moment, it's as though Jesus is reinstating or recommissioning Peter to say, Follow me. But he makes it very clear Peter, it will cost you everything to follow me, even your very life. To be a disciple means we are called to love Jesus. It also means to disciple others to do the same. And it's not done out of our own wisdom, but it is through the word of Christ, by feeding them and tending to them the great words of the great shepherd. To be a disciple means, as the one who knows everything, we entrust our whole life into his very hands. And you know what? That might mean that Jesus will lead us, even in those moments, to our final breath. This past week, 
We lost a dear friend. A friend who I will deeply miss. But as I considered her legacy in life, one thing, if she knew her name's Florina, if she knew I was talking about her this morning, she would be yelling at the screen to say, don't. Because she would hate that it's anything about her, because that's not what I'm here to tell you. Today's not about her, but I want to reflect on her. See, Florina knew the race that was set before her, and not necessarily she went for it and loved every minute of it, definitely not. But it was a sense I saw a woman who was led by the saviour that she loves. And all the way through, I kept on hearing her say, ultimately, in summary, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And in those very moments of all the trials and setbacks, and even pain, I saw a woman whose life was marked in knowing that she's a disciple of Jesus. And she ran the race that was set before her. Even to her final breath. Friends, I want you to know it will cost you and I to follow Jesus. It may not be the same story as Florina. It may be in different ways for you. I want you to know if you're exploring the Christian faith, signing up to following Jesus is more than just a ticket to heaven. See, to be a disciple of Jesus, it will cost you. It means surrendering everything. It might even mean including your very life to the one who is Lord, the one who knows everything, but to the one who offers you grace, just as he did to Peter on that day. And followers of Jesus, I want you to know what we have in front of us it's a beautiful picture and summary of the gospel of Christ. It is grace revealed to us. I mean, you see that, right? Did any of those disciples do the catching of the fish on their own? No, it was Jesus who provided. Who is the one who, who asked the questions of Peter? And who is the one who called him to follow him and even said, You will die, Peter. It is Jesus. It's all through His word. It's by His power and His grace. So the last verses that John speaks of, Peter looks to Jesus and says, what about this guy? It's a reminder that we as Christians need to be careful. That we don't look around and focus as much on others and seeing if they're loving Jesus more than us or are they doing the right thing. No, the focus firstly foremostly begins with us. To ask the question of you and of me, do you love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? And friends, for us to grapple this again how do we know if we love Jesus we reflect back on the way Jesus has loved us the very start of John 1 reveals who Jesus is that he is the word the word that was with God and was God he was in the beginning with God all things were created through him and without him not anything made that was made in him was life and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the one who is this light, but he comes into the darkness of this world. 
And it's Jesus who, who describes himself in the Gospel of John as what? As the Good Shepherd. And who is the Good Shepherd? The Good Shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. And because of his work, you and I have eternal life now and in the life that is to come after death. Jesus is the gracious Savior, and now He's the resurrected Lord who provides for His disciples even when they don't get it. And friends, if you look at Peter's life, he definitely didn't get it. Actually, you see that often in the New Testament. He was a guy who was very often dropping the ball. Actually, there's a whole epistle dealing with that particular issue. See, in this moment, I think John's wrapping up the Gospel of John to remind us to be a disciple of Jesus means we are called to love Him more than anything in this life. That means in life itself. But not out of guilt or condemnation, but rather because of the grace we have received through Jesus Christ. He is our motivation. He is the one who Himself was willing to be the perfect example of a life committed to dive into this world, to go through much suffering on our behalf, in order that you and I could be called disciples, His sheep. What does that mean? Firstly and foremostly, friends, you need to ask the question, are you a disciple of Jesus? That's where it begins. If you're not a disciple, this will not make sense to you. But if you are a disciple, you and I have been called into the mission of Jesus, of loving Jesus and loving others. As you talk to others, do you and I speak not just things that we come up with, but point them to the words of Christ? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, firstly and foremostly, we need to ask again, is there anything or anyone we love more than Jesus? If you were sitting in this fireside chat that's now gone, in that charcoal moment, would you be sitting there and thinking, Oh, what do I love more than Jesus? This is why Jesus sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who will reorientate our heart as we are dependent on Him and asking Him to change us to love Jesus more. Friends, to be a disciple of Jesus means to love the Lord, who will provide for your need and my need in every season, to love Him, not out of duty or guilt, but out of love for Him. And that's because we have experienced our, the grace to us shown in Jesus through His life, through His death, and His resurrection. This is what it means to be a disciple, surrendered to Jesus as Lord. No matter who you are, whatever season you're in, this is what Christ calls us to. This is what it means to be a disciple. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you as the one who is the risen Lord, as we consider what it means to be a disciple. Oh Holy Spirit, help us, for those of us who know you, to live lives as disciples, focused on our love for Christ and out of that to live for you in this world. For those of us who don't know you, stir our hearts and reveal Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. God bless, church.